This gospel message is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Hour, a ministry of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, a Reformed denomination that strives to be faithful to the Word of God and the historic confessions of the Reformed faith, also known as Calvinism. In love for our great God, we proclaim the Christian faith and life that is founded on God's sovereign particular grace. As God's word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you. Dear radio friends, we continue today our series of messages on the life of Joseph. Today we're going to look at the first 25 verses of Genesis chapter 42. Joseph is now the prime minister in Egypt. During the seven years of prosperity, he has gathered and stored so much grain in Egypt that it cannot be counted. And now the seven years of famine have come. It's a famine that affects the entire Mediterranean region. And the world hears that there is grain in Egypt and so they come from all over to Joseph for food. In this chapter, Joseph's ten brothers come to Egypt for grain, and we have not only the first meeting between Joseph and his brothers, but also the beginning down the road to reconciliation in Joseph's family. A reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers, but also a reconciliation between Jacob and his sons. Genesis chapter 42 is very straightforward in its layout. There are three movements. First, Jacob sends his sons to Egypt for food. Then, second, you have the encounter between the ten brothers and the ruler of Egypt, who is Joseph, their brother. And then, third, the brothers return to Jacob with grain and tell him about their visit to Egypt. In this message, we want to look at the first two parts of this story, but I want not just to tell you the familiar story, but to see in it the beginning of reconciliation in this family. Reconciliation in a family is sweet, but usually also very painful. When an estranged husband and wife are reconciled, we who look on rejoice, but the road to their reconciliation, we know, especially for them, is very difficult. It requires the uncovering and confession of sin. Sometimes years of guilt or bad behavior are brought to the surface. And the process of working through such things is very painful. That's the kind of pain that we see here in Joseph's family as they go down this road to reconciliation. We see in this chapter, which takes us back to Canaan and the house of Jacob, the need for reconciliation. The real rift in this family is not between Joseph and his ten brothers who hated and sold him, at least not from Joseph's point of view. Joseph is very ready to forgive them for that. But the real rift is between Jacob and his ten sons. There are two things here, the grief of Jacob and the guilt of his sons that stand in the way of restoration in this family. You remember that back in chapter 37, when they lied to their father that Joseph had been killed by a wild beast, Jacob refused to be comforted, and he said, I will go down into the grave unto my son, mourning. And after 20 years, nothing has really changed. 
The passing of time has not erased Jacob's grief or the guilt of his sons. Instead, Jacob's daily grief serves to keep alive the guilt of his sons and their guilt makes it impossible for them to really be of any comfort to their father. The chapter begins this way in verse 1. Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, he said unto his sons, Why do you look upon one another? What's going on here? Well this, from the last verses of the previous chapter, we learn that the famine extended over all the face of the earth. Jacob and his sons experienced this too. Each day there's less and less for them to eat. There's no food for their cattle. Their children's portions are getting smaller and smaller. And all the countries come to Egypt to Joseph to buy corn. Everyone knows that there's food in Egypt. Jacob did and his sons did too. Now remember, these are grown men. Joseph, younger than all of them, is already 37 years old. But what do these grown men do about the famine? Nothing. They sit around and look at each other because the last thing that they want to do is to go to Egypt. They have a previous association with Egypt and they don't want to go there. They want to stay away from where they know their brother Joseph now lives. Don't you see here their guilt? It's still there. Now Jacob doesn't know this, but listen to how harshly he speaks to his sons. Why do ye look one upon another? Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. These words of Jacob reveal a strained relationship. Is this how he's been talking to them for 20 years now? It's very likely. Quit staring at one another. Get your act together and get down to Egypt or we're all going to die. And so you have here guilty brothers and a very harsh, pained father. And then verse 3 tells us that Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy corn in Egypt. Why ten? Well, because there's safety in numbers and because the more of them that went, the more food they could bring back for their clan of 70 people. But why only 10? Why not 11? Why not Benjamin? Verse 4 tells us that Jacob would not let him go with this reason, lest peradventure mischief befall him. Now you understand that that's totally unreasonable. Benjamin is not a child. He's well past 20 years of age, the time that Joseph has been away. The real reason is that Benjamin has become to Jacob what Joseph was. And so for 20 years now, the brothers have been dealing with the same thing in their father. Selling Joseph didn't take away the favoritism and the spite and the hatred in their family. No, it was simply all transferred from Joseph to Benjamin. And you see, Jacob hasn't changed. He's still the same man with a grief that he won't let go of and a favoritism that causes hatred between his children. There's no love in this family. They need reconciliation. In verse 6, the story continues. And Joseph was the governor of the land and he it was that sold to all the people of the land, and Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Now let's pause here and remember 
that God is at work in this history. And of all the people involved, Joseph is the only one who sees God's hand. Joseph was the governor. Joseph sold the corn. Joseph knew about the famine over all the earth. Joseph had prepared for the famine, and I dare say Joseph was not surprised to see his brothers. He expected that God would bring them to Egypt. Verse 7 tells us that Joseph saw his brethren and he knew them. Now you can imagine that they were easy for him to recognize. They stood out, ten foreigners dressed in shepherd's clothes, maybe looking a little older, but unmistakably these are his brothers. But verse 8 tells us they knew him not. They didn't recognize him. Why not? Well, there are several things. For one, his attire. Joseph was clean-shaven, probably bald like the Egyptian rulers, and he wore silk robes, the robes of a ruler, maybe with a headdressing of some sort. And of course, Joseph had matured. Now he's close to 40, not 17. How many of you look at 40 like you did when you were 17? But also there was Joseph's position. Perhaps when the brothers came to Egypt, they were nervous to see Joseph. But they wouldn't have looked up into the eyes of the ruler to see if this was their brother. Instead, they looked around at the servants and the slaves. And then too, Joseph spoke to them through an interpreter. And so they never knew that he spoke their language or understood them. Now, what an encounter this is. God brings the brothers to Egypt and to Joseph in order to bring their guilt to the surface and to begin the road to reconciliation in this family and reconciliation between these brothers and their God. That's what this meeting with Joseph is all about. It's about the brothers admitting their guilt to one another and talking about it openly. Now let's see how that unfolds. Even though Joseph recognizes that these ten men are his brothers, he doesn't reveal himself to them. Instead, Joseph is very harsh. First he accuses them of being spies who have come down to see where the land of Egypt may be vulnerable. And then when they tell him that they are all brothers, not spies, and that they have simply come to buy food, he doesn't believe them. And so they go into a long explanation concerning their family. Thy servants, they say, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest brother is today with our father, and our other brother is not. Now Joseph retains his composure. You can imagine how difficult that was. He replies, No, you're spies. You're making these things up. And so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you all in prison and one of you will go back and fetch your younger brother of whom you speak. And when I meet him, then I'll believe your story. And so Joseph puts them all in prison together for three days to think and to talk together. At the end of the three days, we learn what they've been thinking and talking about. Joseph draws it out of them. He comes to them and he says this, I am a God-fearing man. Do this and you'll live. 
Pick out one of your brothers to be bound in prison here, and the rest of you may carry food back to your family in Canaan so that they don't die. And then I want you to come back with your younger brother and I'll believe your story. And then it all comes out. What they've been hiding and lying about for 20 years comes out speaking in their own language and not knowing that Joseph can understand them, they say to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he cried out to us, and we wouldn't hear him. This is why all this distress is happening to us. You see, what they're experiencing is this. Numbers 32, verse 23. Be sure that your sin will find you out. For twenty years they've tried to hide this. They thought it was done. They buried their guilt. But all through those years they had to watch their father's pain. They had to see it all play out again in Benjamin and bite their lip. And they had to sleep at night hearing in their ears the echo of Joseph's begging and pleading that that they set him free and not sell him as a slave and not hurt him. You see, you cannot bury guilt. It will come to the surface. Unrepentant sin will not leave you alone. It will plague you. It will visit you in your dreams. It will change your behavior. It will steal your joy. It will corrode your life and your relationships. It will put you on edge. Don't you see how sensitive these men are in Egypt? They don't want to see Joseph. And now these apparently unrelated things. Prison and so on, awaken their consciousness. They're on edge. And then we see Reuben, the oldest brother, speaks. It's an accusation. And you get a sense for the heat of the moment here in their conversation. Didn't I tell you not to hurt Joseph, he says? Remember, Reuben was the one who saved Joseph from murder. And when he was gone, the others sold Joseph to the Midianites. And now Reuben says, I had nothing to do with this, and I told you. And he adds this, his blood is required. In other words, this is justice, poetic justice. God isn't going to let you, he isn't going to let us get away with what we did to our brother. And so the brothers are beginning to see the hand of God awakening their consciences. If we look down to verse 28, where they find their money in their bags of grain and are troubled by it, they say, what is this that God has done unto us? And you understand what a mercy that is. So many bury their guilt and go on in their life of sin. I don't say that their conscience is not troubled, but people find a way to put what their conscience says out of their minds. But you see, God won't let that happen to those whom he has determined to save. The guilt that he awakens in the conscience of his children is a mercy that brings them to repentance. And that's what's happening here. This is the road to reconciliation. Confession of guilt The brothers are not there yet. They're not ready to come clean with Jacob. But God is beginning the work of this grace in their hearts.
But now what about Joseph here? Doesn't he seem vindictive and unreasonably harsh? Why doesn't he just tell them who he is? Why does he deal with them so roughly? Why does he throw them in prison? Why keep Simeon when he knows this will cause pain to his father? Why? The key here is in verse 9, when his brothers first come and bow to him. Joseph remembers his dreams. That's the key. Joseph remembers what God had said would happen. He remembers God's revelation. This is the way God reveals himself in the story of Joseph in dreams. And we've seen all through Joseph's life that God's revelation and living before God was central to Joseph. And now Joseph remembers that God had revealed in two dreams 20 years earlier that his brothers and his parents would bow to him. And just as Joseph responded to the dreams of Pharaoh with a carefully laid out plan, so here Joseph has a plan. There were two dreams. In the first, the sheaves of his ten older brothers bowed down to his sheaf. That was his first dream. That's what Joseph sees happening here in front of him now. And instead of this making him swell with pride and say to his brothers, I told you so, Joseph remembers that God had given him a second dream in which not only did his ten brothers bow to him, but there were eleven stars and the sun and the moon, his father. And you see, Joseph understands that this means that Benjamin and Jacob will also come down to Egypt and bow before him there. And Joseph comes up with a carefully devised plan to make that happen, to bring his entire family peacefully together with him in Egypt. That wasn't possible right now. Imagine if Joseph had simply told his brothers who he was. I am Joseph. They would have bolted in fear and guilt. They weren't ready yet to own their sin or to face their father with what they had done. Joseph's harsh response is a part of his careful plan to bring them to repentance and to bring reconciliation and salvation to his family, to his brothers. In love, Joseph here is harsh. And don't you see his love here? If he really wanted to be vindictive, He could have hurt his brothers much more. But in love, he sends them all back with food for their families except for one. In mercy, he puts their money and not rocks into their food sacks. And when he hears them speaking of their guilt, he doesn't accuse them, but he turns and he goes to weep in private. I imagine the three days that his brothers were in prison and the weeks and months that Simeon were, was in prison were the toughest times of his life. How he would have longed to hear about Jacob and about Benjamin and about the 20 years that had transpired. But more important to Joseph than these personal details is what God has said would happen. A reconciled family together in Egypt. This is what Joseph wants. And it's because he so firmly believes in God's revelation. Jacob is tortured by grief. 
The ten brothers are tormented by guilt, and Joseph is transformed by grace. And it's that grace that will bring forgiveness and reconciliation in this family. Joseph won't push things under the rug, but seeking peace in his family, peace with God for his family, he is used to awaken guilt and to bring confession. That may be painful, but it's so necessary for reconciliation. And that's true also with regard to God. Sin, our sin, your sin, stands between you and God. Are you guilty before God? Yes, we all are. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And with the God of justice, nothing can be hidden, and it's blood for blood. But now the question is, how do you deal with that guilt? Are you trying to smother it with your own good works? Do you try to hide and conceal it with a front of kindness and morality? Are you in denial trying to bury your guilt with a life of busyness? Aren't you weary of that? There's only one thing that can overcome our guilt, and that is grace. Not now the grace of a man, Joseph, but the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Jesus who says to all who are weary and burdened with the guilt of sin, Come, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Just as joy in your earthly relationships can only come through confession, repentance, and forgiveness, so it is with God. You come to Him, you come to Jesus Christ through confession and repentance, and there at the cross you find rest for your soul. You cannot hide from God. He knows your sin. But His infinite grace in Christ is a grace greater than all our sins. May you find your peace in Him. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for Thy grace and Thy Word that pursue us when we wander in sin and that do this with the goal of bringing us back into a life of joy and peace with Thee. O Lord, do not leave us, but preserve us by Thy grace. And Father, if there are any listening today who are hiding the guilt of their sins, work by Thy Spirit and Word in their lives to bring repentance and reconciliation. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. The Gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, The Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed Churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org.